expensive for you guys. I'm baffled by that. Do you have to reprint business cards and letterheads and change the sign on your skyscraper? Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Today's episode is about a simple topic, or at least what I thought was a simple topic until just a few months ago. How do you go about naming a new business or a product? Hmm. I thought I had the answer to this. I could tell you that you definitely don't have the answer to this based on <laughs> the companies that we've owned in the past yeah, and the things that we've <laughs> named them and the ways that we've gone about naming them. So if you remember, Dan, our first corporation, you drew two palm trees in your notebook and we came up with the name Two Tree International. And we just thought that this was the most brilliant name anybody had ever come up with. For me, a good company name involves two things, Ian. It, it means it's available on GoDaddy and that it's for the cheapest price possible. Right. If those two things converge in the universe, then I'm buying it. <laughs> Not necessarily the best name we ever came up with. But the good news for us is it wasn't of any consequence. But that isn't the case. Generally speaking, your brands are customer-facing. It does matter what people think, what their perception is. You only get one chance a lot of times. 100%. And so there's a huge opportunity here, and there's a huge liability in getting your name right. And we wanted to talk with somebody today on the show that knows what they're talking about and has a great deal of experience in this. In fact, we found out about this person through Taylor Pearson, who listened to an earlier episode where we tipped off that we were changing the name of this very show. And he said, if you're going to do that, guys, don't do it without reading this book called Hello, My Name is Awesome by Alexandra Watkins. So she's the founder of a company in San Francisco, which specializes in naming brands and products. And that company's called Eat My Words. Dan, without giving away too much, I think Alexandra's book is amazing. And the reason I say it's amazing is because most business books, there's all this backstory, there's all this fluff, there's 150 pages that aren't necessary. I had the same expectation when I picked up this book. I said, okay, I just want to get to the part where I come up with a really cool name for my company. I'm going to thumb through this thing as fast as possible. I ended up reading every single word because there wasn't a word wasted in the book. Nope. And I even did the exercises because they were so much fun and useful. Our advice is now Taylor's advice, which is if you're going to name a product or a company, do go check out Hello, My Name is Awesome. It's on Amazon. It's worth every penny. But today, what ended up happening, Dan, was we read this book and then we said, we got to have Alexandra on the show. This is amazing. This is amazing. I can't believe that she has built a business on naming products. And so although our intention was to talk about her book and her process and her business, this episode took a little bit of an interesting turn about halfway through. Took an interesting turn. We're going to have to see what that's all about. Let's see what happens. But we started this episode off by asking Alexandra, who, by the way, told us that initially she had zero interest in writing that book, why she finally did. I feel like I didn't have a choice. My mother made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did it because 
the truth is that so many people that come to our website or call us up at Eat My Words, they can't afford us. We're not priced for most people starting a business. We are more priced for funded startups and corporate. The book is a way for anybody that wants to come up with a name to learn a lot of my secrets and do it on their own. And a lot of people do. I get emails all the time from people who read my book and say, thank you. I was able to come up with a lot of names on my own. And here's what I'm going with. Alexandra, how many people currently work at your firm? We have myself and then our creative director, Gina, and we have a stable of maybe 12 namers that work with us on a regular basis, but no one is full-time because you can't name things eight hours a day. So what we do is we bring in people based on what they have experience in. We keep a big database of, you know, who likes gadgets, who has kids, who likes to cook. So for instance, we were naming a dishwashing company, robotic dishwashing company. I have experience in robotics, not dishwashers. So we put out a call to our stable and said, hey, has anyone ever been a dishwasher in a restaurant? And we had six of our neighbors that had actually been dishwashers. So that's who we put on the account. It's not surprising why so many people in the Bay Area were dishwashers. That's how you can afford your one-bedroom studio apartment <laughs> with a professional job. Well, actually, most of our most of our neighbors don't live in the Bay Area because we don't want everybody to be in our bubble. I have the smallest, tiniest little bubble. You know, I live in Tech Central. You know, I'm two blocks from Airbnb, a block from Pinterest and all of these other tech companies. I'm not in reality. So we like our neighbors to live in reality in the flyover states. We like neighbors who shop at Walmart and eat at Waffle House because usually when we're naming something, that's the target audience. But we have, you know, we have tech bros too. We have a little bit of everyone. We have a lot of millennials and we have a lot of moms. Most products we name or most things are targeted at moms. I have another question about your company. We wanted to talk about your process a bit, but one of the assumptions I had about namers before this conversation was that they had a special talent and that they generally would work alone. And I've even talked to some namers that are like that, and they've said that that's the case. Like, they couldn't possibly hire somebody. And that's often the case with a broad range of skill sets when people are outstanding at something. They feel like, it, that you know, you couldn't build a team around that skill set that you're great at. So what was it about you that allowed, you know, enabled you to bring other people into your company on the thing that you're best at, which is naming stuff? Well, I believe the people you talk to might be linguists. And of course, you can't learn linguistics overnight, but because our names are based on concepts that are real words and twist on real words, people can learn to do that. And, you know, I wrote a whole book on how to name things. So I know it can be taught. And Emily, who worked for me for a long time and still works with us, she, I brought her in as an intern and I didn't teach her anything about naming. We were launching the book and she was really helpful in that area. And she tried to name some things and she was okay, but not really good. And then one day she just picked it up and now we put her on a lot of projects. She gets the winning name once in a while. And I think some of it's just through osmosis. Like if you're around good names long enough, but there's so many techniques that we use and I teach in the book. And of course, many that I don't teach in the book because we have to keep something to ourselves you can learn it. It's absolutely learnable. But what we do is 
we all start off on our own, you know, brainstorming however we do it on our own. And I give a lot of examples in the book of how to brainstorm online solo. And then we come together or we swap lists around, right? I'll take Ryan's list and riff off of that and come up with more names. So that way we're just, it's kind of like you could call it silent brainstorming. You know, every once in a while we'll stumble upon a new website that has great words or phrases or things for us to explore that we never even knew about before, or maybe it's a brand new site. I know that if I have five namers work on a project and I give them the exact same assignment, it's rare that I get any overlap. And that's because all of us have our very favorite places to look for name ideas. Where are some of your favorite places to get inspiration? Well, definitely Google Images or just, you know, any stock photography library because a picture says a thousand words and photos are tagged by keywords. So, for instance, if you were naming a new microchip that was very fast, you could just go to, you know, Getty Images and type in the concept word fast. And a lot of photos would be tagged with that word. You know, there would be a cheetah and some type of runner and a rocket. I mean, those those are all pretty obvious things, but that's a great way to search because somebody's already done the work for you. I like looking on iTunes for ideas and song titles. You have to be careful with copywriting slash trademarking on those. You know, a thesaurus is a great place to start. As obvious as it seems, a dictionary online. The reason I'm saying online is If you're in a thesaurus or a dictionary that's a book, you're just kind of on that page. But if you're online, everything's clickable. So you're on a thesaurus and you click on, you know, you write in the word fast and you see expedient, then you can click on the word expedient and then you're going down further and further down the rabbit hole. And that's really fun. And that's where the really good ideas come from. The deeper you go below the surface, that's when you're going to start to get the really interesting names. This week's show is sponsored by DCBKK. Hey, that's us. How much is this costing? That's right. That's us. We're sponsoring our own show? We want to get the word out about our annual event every year, our Big Bash in October. Hundreds of entrepreneurs descend on the amazing city of Bangkok to share in meetups, knowledge sharing, masterminds, keynotes, evening parties, and a whole lot more. I can't wait. This is practitioners. These are people around the globe that are running businesses that are changing the lives of people around them. We all come to learn from each other under one roof, and it's going to be amazing. I feel like this is going to be our best year yet. And part of the reason DCBKK is unique is that you must qualify to attend. That's right. You have to be an established entrepreneur in order to attend. Every year, Ian, we open up a small percentage of the tickets to the public to invite people to see the community to meet their peers, and to meet other inspiring entrepreneurs who've done the unique, crazy, and difficult things that you've managed to do, which is to grow a successful online business. If that describes you, we'd love to see you in Bangkok in October. All the details are at dcbkk.com. So Dan, is this the part of the episode where we fall off the rails? Not quite yet. I mean, look, I, I walked into this interview loving the book, having done the exercises, really trying to be vigilant to make sure we got through all the concepts. We got through some of them. (laughs) Basically, the ones we talked about are the two S's. One is great, and the other is a no-no. 
you're not going to get any bonus points for guessing that Tropical MBA name didn't exactly pass the test <laughs> that's laid out in the book. And again, the book has these really simple frameworks for determining whether your name's got legs and it's going to be there every day in and out working to grow your business for you or whether it's there holding your business back. So what is the smile and scratch test, Dan? Briefly, smile is the rubric by which you're going to want to run through whether or not your name has the positive elements you want. And of course, each of the letters stand for something you need to look for. So in this case, it's suggestive, meaningful, has imagery, has legs. That's an important and interesting concept and is emotional. And scratch are the things that names can violate that could hold you back. So that's is grammatically challenged or looks like a typo, similar to a competitor, is restrictive, and that limits your future growth, is annoying, tame, has the curse of knowledge, which means it only makes sense to insiders, or is hard to pronounce. I can see all the sins that we've committed. I can also see that most internet companies commit <laughs> a lot of sins too. <laughs> There's a lot of nonsense words out there these days, Tim. I thought it would be cool if we could talk about some of the parts of your process that our listeners can put to work for them because we're naming things like crazy and probably pretty terribly, you know, starting and stopping five to 10 websites a year. <laughs> so we need your help. Okay. So I'm curious, let's start out with talking about some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making when they're naming their products or their companies. And I think in your book, you have a formulation called Scratch that you use to help you get around some of these mistakes. Yes, the Scratch is from the Smile and Scratch test, which is a 12-point name evaluation test of what makes a name great and what makes a name bad. An easy way to remember the word scratch is if it makes you scratch your head, scratch it off the list. Before I dive into scratch, I just want to say absolutely the number one mistake that people make is starting at GoDaddy or a domain registrar to see if your domain name is available. We are so guilty of this. Guilty as charged. <laughs> Everybody is. And it's the last place you need to go. We rarely look at domain names until the very, 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 very end of something. Well, a couple of reasons. One, you know, when I wrote my book, there was 252 million registered.com domain names. You know, they're all taken. The internet ran out. Two, nobody expects you at this point to even have a .com domain name anymore. Three, you can have a creative phrase and make that your domain name or eatmywords.com. But we could be eat my words brand names or eat my words branding or eat my words names or eat my words names things. And by having those extra words in our domain name, that's actually helping with the search engine optimization. So that's something people need to keep in mind. Like awesomebook.com you know, versus hello, my name is awesome.com could be a really good domain name. It's essentially you're adding modifiers to the domain name. Yes. For years, Tesla, you went to tesla.com, you would see a webpage that's a very ominous looking webpage that said, this site is owned by GandhiNet. And, you know, what would you do if you were looking for Tesla? Would you give up? No, you'd just type in your browser, Tesla cars or Tesla test drive, whatever it was you wanted with a Tesla. And you would 
boom, you'd be at their website. You'd see something and you'd click on it and you'd be at their website. You would not have noticed what their domain name is. And you would not say, I don't trust this company because they didn't own the pure domain name. By the way, the domain name that they had for years and years was teslamotors.com. It never stopped them. And if, if Tesla didn't need a pure domain name, either do you. Let's talk about some of the other mistakes that you see your clients and entrepreneurs making. Okay, this is so let's go through Scratch. The first one, the S in Scratch stands for spelling challenged. If your name looks like a typo, scratch it off the list. Your name should be spelled exactly how it sounds. So you do not have to constantly spell it for people. And the reason here is anytime you have to spell your name for somebody, tell them how to pronounce it, you're apologizing for it. And when you apologize for your name, you're devaluing your brand. This is me explaining my email address a hundred times over the phone. <laughs> no, there's two dots in there. Yes, that's a seven, right? Same thing. Yeah, like the dots, right? Delicious started it with the dots. And very quietly, a couple of years ago, they removed the dots from the word delicious. They found the dots, while clever in the beginning, confusing for people. People didn't know where the dots went. And a really important takeaway from that is that just because it's creative doesn't mean it's good. Example, spelling a name backwards. Yeah. That's creative. Is it a good idea? X-O-B-N-I. No one knew that was inbox spelled backwards. And no one knew how to pronounce Zobni either. By the way, they got funded by Yahoo, $30 million, and went out of business a year later. So there you go. When you're starting out with a clean slate, don't give yourself any disadvantages. Another disadvantage on the scratch list, copycat, which is the C, you don't want to be similar to a competitor's name. You know, it's like Pinkberry, the frozen yogurt chain that's been wildly successful. Blissberry and Yoberry and Myberry, Loveberry. When somebody sees a name like that, the first thing they think is, oh, they copied Pinkberry. Here's another copycat of Pinkberry red, mango, color, fruit. Why is Pinkberry is not even a great name? Red Mango is not a great name. A great name for a frozen yogurt store, and we've named three of them, Spoon Me, right? Spoon Me makes people <laughs> smile. They have sold a ton of merchandise. Another one we named is uh, Serve Yourself Frozen Yogurt, and we named it Vincent Van Yo, and the tagline is Make Your Own Masterpiece. I think one of the other things that you explained is that you come up with a name and you're trying to follow some kind of pattern and all of a sudden on your third product, you're in trouble. Well, you also have to make sure trademark wise that those things are available. So, I mean, it's like Apple ran out with the big cats, right? But they had a really good run with, you know, Jaguar, Leopard, Snow Leopard. I'll tell you the mistake that Apple made now going to the operating systems with California names is... They were too insulated. Mavericks with an S is a famous surfing spot pretty close between San Francisco and Apple and Cupertino. But it's Mavericks with an S, which is an odd word to say. So people thought that that OS was called Maverick because Mavericks doesn't really make sense as a plural name for a singular product. So 
people need, when you're naming something, you have to really think, does it have the curse of knowledge, which is another of the C's in Scratch, where only insiders get it? Is there ever an advantage to having a name with the curse of knowledge? I think we've often been criticized for that because we're a very insider community. We think we're cool. We're entrepreneurs. Have you ever seen a name that works with that? Or would you always recommend not having a sort of insider wink, wink, nudge, nudge? Well, if everyone in your group and in your target audience is an insider, absolutely, that's fine. But most people are trying to attract people outside of their group. And a lot of times, curse of knowledge is a word in a foreign language, right? Your name needs to be like a welcome mat. It needs to be approachable and friendly. You know, have you ever been in a French restaurant, for instance, and you wanted to order something because it you could kind of figure out what it was, but you didn't know how to pronounce it. So either one, you didn't order it, or two, you did order it and you completely butchered how you said it and the French waiter laughed at you, or three, you just pointed at it, which you know you don't want to do. Don't make it difficult for people. Let's talk about the R because it's part of the reason we called you today. We've been feeling that, that our brand might be restrictive, which is one of the things that you talked about in your book. You talked about 99 cent stores. You talked about Canadian Tire. Can you talk about this mistake? Sure. So a lot of companies outgrow their name and Canadian Tire, for those of you who don't know, sells way more than tires. They sell everything from you know tropical plants to teddy bears, tools, trampolines, But if Canadian Tire wanted to roll into the U.S., as many foreign companies do, and like open a location here, they couldn't open as Canadian Tire because no one would know that they sold way more than tires. So when you are naming your brand, look into your crystal ball and think, how well can this name scale? Because when most people start their company, they don't know what it's going to become. A great example of a scalable name is Amazon. If Jeff Bezos had named that company Book Barn, I wouldn't have just ordered a life jacket for river rafting (laughs) from there, right? But tell me where it hurts with your name. Oh, geez. It hurts real bad. Well, this is a good question maybe for you is producer Jane reached out and she said, these guys over at the Tropical MBA want to talk to you. What was your first reaction? I thought it Tropical and MBA don't seem compatible to me. It seemed like get your MBA while, you know, drinking daiquiris in Grand Cayman. And really, like, it did not sound serious. It sounded like a diploma mill, kind of. Tropical, I think vacation, MBA, I think, you know, Stanford, Harbor, you know, some like really prestigious place where you go to get your MBA. And I had a complete disconnect. Brutal. Yep. It's horrible. But you came on anyways, which is the good news for us. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, no, you need help. So tell me, how do other people answer that question when you meet them or you're at a conference and maybe your name badge says Tropical MBA or you just tell somebody the name Tropical MBA? What do people think it is? And also, why the name? Dan, I think you named Tropical MBA a long time ago, so you can go into that. But I will say that most people have the same reaction that you do. 
which is if they're outsiders, they really don't know what to think about it. And most of them are confused. And then basically what the show used to be was just us talking about growing our business. We've kind of shifted that to expand to us talking to others who are talking about growing their businesses. And so I think we're having a hard time with people taking us seriously, especially people that have accomplished a lot to hear the name Tropical MBA and to be want to be associated with that. It seems a little bit weird. Dan, do you remember the Genesis story of why you picked Tropical MBA? I was basically living in on a tropical island and I wanted an apprentice. So I said, hey, you know, if you want to come work for a company, you can come over to this tropical island and I'll teach you everything I know about growing businesses. And I guess the positives in our mind were like, you know, we take business really, really seriously, but we're trying to do it our own way. And it's not like a traditional MBA. It's like a tropical one, but it's kind of just been there the whole time. And I think honestly, like part of the reason we've gotten serious about this is we feel people like choking down our brand. Like I've seen people literally like write 3000 word responses to some of our essays or some of our podcasts, which we feel, you know, some of them are are good. We're, we're trying to do our best work here. And, and people like literally they'll write like paragraphs saying like, Okay, like they're embarrassed to share that they're reading our site because it says something about who they are that they're reading this this kind of website that is one degree away from a multi-level marketing scam or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> diploma mill. Exactly. Really? If I look at the scratch test, it's annoying, it's mysterious, it's limiting. Those are the ones that really jump out at me. You know, I look at brands like Dave Ramsey's show about finance, some of the great entrepreneurship brands out there. And we feel like, you know, like Startup, for example, the Gimlet podcast, and we feel like our show should be considered next to theirs. But our brand doesn't really do this that service. I think that there's some ways that you could, I mean, what immediately comes to mind? Well, do you still want MBA in the name? We don't care. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, I am the August author in residence at the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center. The name entrepreneurial and entrepreneur is such a mouthful. And I always, no matter how I try to spell it, it always comes out wrong. Thank God for spell check. But I would say that's what I like MBA over entrepreneurial or entrepreneurs, even startup, because startup, I think, kind of pigeonholes people into being a tech company. And most people starting a company are not starting a tech company. This is the first thing that came to mind. Like if you guys want to do to change your name, but still retain, you know, you have obviously a huge following. You've had a lot of people on your show that, you know, you have a lot of value and equity in your brand already. I keep going to this idea of, I'm just thinking out loud here, something like MBA Island or Island MBA, something where you're playing off of something in the tropics, but it's an island where you can learn all of this stuff, you know, but I don't know if that's exactly right or if that's too, too much like you're stranded on a desert island. <laughs> so for you, MBA has a lot of meaning and weight. The public understands that that means you're learning about business, essentially. Yeah, I love it because, well, I speak to MBAs all the time. And Every year I speak at the grad school at Stanford and at Haas at Berkeley, and I just got asked to speak at USC, and I skipped college. So for me, <laughs> like, I'm a academic, and I'm just getting I'm getting it on my own. So I like this. And by the way, academic is a word that I absolutely love. I wish I made it up, but I cannot <laughs> credit for it. But I like this idea of it's kind of like a do-it-yourself MBA, 
And people know that they can learn themselves now and you don't have to spend 100, 200 grand, at least around here, to go get an MBA. You know, the guests that come on your show have really practical business advice and real world advice. There's got to be some like do-it-yourself MBA type of names out there, correct? Yeah, I think that there's there's several. You know, you're just talking now and I'm just my brain is just going crazy, like do-it-yourself MBA, things like that. But one of the things that I thought was helpful was you created this sample brief. And so basically what it does is it forces you to write down exactly what your company does and exactly how people perceive your brand. And I think that's a helpful experiment for us. I filled one out already. Oh, yeah. you guys both did? <laughs> yeah. We did, yeah. I want to jump in here real quick just to explain the sample brief. It's simply one of the exercises that Alexandra talks about in her book. And part of the reason it's important and why we found it useful is it creates a process out of something that's otherwise mysterious or where our process used to be go to namecheap.com or whatever and start typing around. The sample brief gives you an opportunity to articulate what your brand's really all about in a systematic way. You recommend that people don't just start brainstorming. You recommend... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's really important that you figure out what is the personality that you want to communicate in your name. Like, Eat My Words is a very fun and playful personality, where if we were called, you know, strategic name development, that's a very, (laughs) you know, serious, not so creative name for a naming firm. So I would say you want to know, you know, what's your tone and personality, What do you want the name to communicate? You cannot have your name. Everybody always writes, you know, trust. And look, your name can't communicate trust. Would you buy a car from trusty Sid, you know, used cars? No, you can communicate trust by having a a really well-designed website and customer testimonials, but don't try to squeeze it into your name. Your name should just evoke something positive about your brand. But also I tell people, write down some words that you might want in your name. Did you guys come up with that stuff? And do you want me to try to give you some ideas on the phone? Yeah, sure. So we did something that you advise not to do, which is we asked a bunch of people what they thought the name should be. <laughs> Can we preface this conversation? Because like, you have a whole chapter about changing brand names. Right. So my question to you is, because there's probably a lot of people that they're running their names through the scratch test right now. And it's like, oh man, I have a crappy name and I could, maybe I'm missing out on opportunities. So what's your kind of litmus test on whether or not a company should go through this process? Because like Ian and I, you know, we're worried it's, it's expensive. It's How is it expensive for you guys? How? I, I'm baffled by that. Do you have to reprint business cards and letterheads <laughs> and, and change the sign on your skyscraper? No, I think that when we say expensive, I think that there's social and business capital wrapped up in changing the name, right? It's it's hard to educate people on a new name, wouldn't you say? Well, I think it's a great opportunity to tell people why you changed your name. And because of social media, it's not like it used to be, right? Like 30 years ago, if you changed your name, how would you let people know? I think it would be in the newspaper. Okay, so now you can announce it on social media, you can do a redirect. So people go to your website, it just automatically redirects them to your new website. It's a great reason to get in touch with everybody, you know, whose email you have. And I think it's also a really good reason to tell people, hey, this is why we changed our name. I mean, I'll tell you, Did I want to tweet that I was going to be on Tropical MBA? No, for the very same reason you said that people 
don't want to say that they're listening to your show or getting value or business advice from your show because it doesn't sound serious. Right. So I think it's a great opportunity for, and you can also be a little self-deprecating. You guys are funny. Use it to your advantage. So my consumer insight, so I filled out the sample creative brief Uh and the consumer insight was a cool idea because you're trying to, I tried to imagine like who our listeners were. And so here's what I came up with. Our listeners are doing something very difficult. They're growing their own business. They're often lonely, isolated, and worried about their business prospects. Often they are doing something in their career that they do not like. They see owning their own business as a path to greater freedom in their life. Listening to the show gives them a chance to connect with those who've had the types of success they are seeking. So I think in some ways, like there's a lot of loneliness in the entrepreneur community, particularly like the lifestyle business community, people are working from home, they're doing remote teams, they're traveling a lot. And this show gives people an opportunity to kind of connect with each other, people that are on a pretty special journey. In terms of our brand positioning, I like to think that there's not a lot of BS on the show, aside from Ian and I's occasional forays and or stories, but we feel like we're seeking out the best information and stories from people who've done this, what we feel like is a very unique thing. Because we know these people. We're not just like Googling around for them. We've met them. We know they're legit. What do you think about that? Well, it's funny that you were talking about the loneliness and isolation because that's what an island is. And I certainly don't want people to feel that. But maybe there's, yeah, you don't want to call it, you know, NBA archipelago because that's (laughs) really, really hard to spell. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I know I don't, you know, look, I'm, I'm in the middle of startup bill here and, and there's entrepreneurs, you know, every night there's probably seven meetups I could go to within a mile of where I live or work and find other entrepreneurs. But I realize around the world, around the country, that not everywhere is like that. How are your listeners connecting with each other? We have uh, a private community. We have seminars and events all around the world. We have 20 meetups a month in 20 cities. Wow. Yeah. How did I not know that? Because our branding sucks. You know, there's a lot of listeners and then a very small percentage of them own these businesses and we invite them to like join this network. There's 1,200 of us. It's a really positive, open-minded, amazing community. But on the show, we don't really talk about it that much because we're trying to make it useful, like sort of like your book, you know, it's useful for a broader audience. How many of your audience do you know actually has an MBA, like a real MBA from a school? It would be a pretty low percentage, very low of the overall audience. Okay. So I think it's safe to use the word MBA. You want to be taken seriously. I mean, I love the fact that you're all over the place. And like, what are some other places that you're having meetups? global. So there's like hubs all around the world, these cities that are gaining momentum and that entrepreneurs are moving to for one reason or another. And people move seasonally. So like Europe is really popular right now, like Lisbon, Budapest, Barcelona, people come to these cities, they meet up with each other. And then when the winter rolls in, people start going to places like Singapore, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Austin in the United States, New York City is a big one, South America, people love Medellin, Buenos Aires, Berlin's a big city. So it's really a global community. It's it's sort of like semi-nomadic. People sort of have a home base, but then they have places that they like to visit for portions of the year for business or lifestyle reasons. Yeah, wow. And I imagine most of the people that are doing this are pretty pretty young, like 20s, 30s. 
Some of them are. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that's happening in our brand, obviously, is when Dan and I started this company, we were in our 20s and now we're further into our 30s. It's been over a decade. And so, you know, our lives are evolving. The people around us are evolving. And so that's part of our problem, too. You know, some of the things that we valued in our 20s are changing. Right. And and so as we change, the community also changes. Okay. Do you feel like the name is more important for your meetup or for your podcast? How else is the name used and what else are we naming that goes with the name? Yeah. So that's a good question. So our community is actually named something different. Our community is called the Dynamite Circle. And for short, it's just called the DC. And the people within the community are called DCers. And I think that people generally like that and also identify with that. So for insiders, I I think once you're inside of the brand, and this is probably the case with a lot of brands, it doesn't matter so much. But our problem, again, is like trying to broaden our audience, trying to have more of a wide appeal, trying to appeal to people that take business seriously, but also maybe don't know about the lifestyle aspect that these businesses can bring them. And so that's our forward-facing brand for that which is Tropical MBA, which is where this podcast happens and where our writings happen. And once you've already committed to that awful name and you're inside, we show you the Dynamite Circle. And that's where all the global meetups happen. Have you thought about MBA Dynamite? Yeah. I like MBA Dynamite because Dynamite, because then you're tying in to your existing group. So it's not a rapid departure. It just makes sense. And then MBA Dynamite is like, you know, hey, this is super powerful. Hold on. I'm going to just look up the word dynamite really quickly while we're talking. (laughs) This is very cool. (laughs) Dynamite. Are you guys old enough to remember Jimmy J.J. Walker? Dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Dynamite. I'm just going to go to one of my word sites and see. Dynamite. Sorry, typing with one finger. Okay. Bang. Burst. Oh, and also means excellent, right? Yeah. Well, the way that JJ says it, yeah. (laughs) I feel like a difficult client all of a sudden. No, you're not. I mean, if we were doing this as like a real consulting call, name storming, I would have had you send me the brief in advance and I would have come up with some things for you. But I just went to a website and looked up words associated with travel and I'm coming up with like journey. So I don't know if like MBA journey, because I do like this idea of being all over the world. And and also, you know, it is a constant journey when you own a business. You're always learning something new, no matter how old your business is. Let's see. How would you judge, you know, MBA journey, for example? I don't think it's exciting enough. I like things that are unexpected. Like, you know, we all know Hitchhiker. And this is the moment in the show when things get a little tricky because honestly, Ian... I wanted to do a good job during the interview, and I thought maybe Alexandra would give us a little consulting at the end, you know, some free stuff, but she just wanted to jump right in and give us feedback. I mean, it was cool. Like, she's obviously really passionate about what she does. She didn't want to sit there and explain all. She's like, go read the book. It's 70 pages long. You know, <laughs> like, I've written that stuff. What I want to do is help people name their businesses. So that's what she started doing in the interview. I thought it was, I didn't expect it, honestly. I thought it was awesome. At this point in the interview, my eyes just got completely dilated. I said, oh, no, we're going to have to talk about us in a real way here. This is all coming to a head. But for reasons that will become more apparent shortly, there's going to be some bleeping out in this next section because 
we are still in discovery mode and we might actually use some of the names that we came up with with Alexandra. Yeah. And I don't want anybody to steal them from us because we haven't reserved them yet. It might make them more than $12. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you guys, you probably, I mean, honestly, if you're not going to use that name, I wouldn't. You might want to just cut some of this because this is the problem with brainstorming live is somebody's going to come in and steal your name. Oh, I didn't even think of that. But I do like this idea of your, it's learning. And I mean, like, like my boyfriend, he got his MBA 25 years ago. That's 25 years ago. I mean, everything has changed as far as entrepreneurship, right? So it is a constant, it's a constant, I don't want to use that word journey, but you're always learning and there's always new things to learn. Yeah, I'm just looking at this list. I don't want anything trite. Like I see eternal MBA. I don't really like eternal. It's too religious. Wow. This is more fun than I expected. Oh, this is like, it's fun, right? Because we're going down the rabbit hole. I don't know how you guys feel. I, I feel pretty strongly about MBA because you need to still be tied to your old name. But I like this idea of always learning, always moving. That's interesting that, why do we need to be tied to our old name? You have equity in it, right? We renamed a company one time. They were called Helium Guides and they didn't want to alienate or really make a rapid departure from their name. So we renamed them Halogen Guides and Halogen being all about, you know, shining a light and, you know, bright and, and all of those things related to light. But it started with an H. It was in a related category. So the difference is this, like MBA is serious, right? It's for real business people. If, if you're just an entrepreneur, like so many entrepreneurs I know, their whole idea, they just want to be rich. I just want to be rich. MBA <laughs> It's a little different to me. Like MBA, they're starting real businesses. You know, they're they're thinking bigger than just, you know, hey, I want to have a, make an app. Right. So I've created a sin, but the news is good. You've gone to GoDaddy. Yes. Already. I've already gone to GoDaddy, which I'm not supposed to do. <laughs> Both MBA.com and MBA.com are available and they're cheap. Wow. Great. Look at this. Look at this. We're having a breakthrough call. It's like a therapy session. This is fabulous. But the expensive thing hasn't happened yet, which is actually going to see if this name is trademarked. Oh, well, I can just tell you the, the fact that the domains are available is a really good sign. You wrote that this is the most painful part of the naming process. I have to admit, I don't think we've ever trademarked Tropical MBA. We have not trademarked Tropical MBA, but in our businesses, you weren't a part of it. I have trademarked several names. Why is it so painful? Well, my experience is just that with the internet, it's so easy to find somebody that's a competitor where before, if there was another business with that name before the internet, you might not ever know. Where now, if somebody is just like, if we're naming a big financial services company and there's one financial planner that's using the name that we want, that's like going to be a conflict of interest. Even if they never trademarked the name, they were using it first. Or you can just go to Google. I mean, where your problem is going to be is I would just type in the word with the word education and then with the word education. I'm curious, how many companies do you think you've named? Over a hundred. Do you have anyone that you're particularly proud of and a reason why you think it's a, a great name? Yeah, I love 
the name Nito for the robotic vacuum. And we also named Nito Robotics because at the time it was a $400 robotic vacuum and it gave it a playful name, Nito, because it's Nito because, hey, it's a robot and it cleans my house. That's Nito. <laughs> but Nito Robotics, you know, robotics balances out Nito because it's a very serious word and that helped justify the $400 price tag. Right. I've got to imagine that there's some money in naming children. Is that true? <laughs> I have named one child. It's really hard to name a kid without knowing the kid's personality. The best thing to do when naming a kid is really, you know, look at the last name and try, you know, that's about the best you can do. I mean, I could just go on and on. Don't give your kid a name that's going to rhyme with something that kids could make fun of. Don't give your kid a name that a recruiter could see on a resume and think is not, I want to say this one, but it's friends of mine that named their kid this, but it sounds like a stripper name. Like don't name your kid, (laughs) don't name your baby girl a stripper name. Don't give them, it's a smile and scratch test rules totally apply. No cursive knowledge, no weird spellings, no hard to pronounce. Don't give them a name that's going to give them any disadvantage. What do you think is the opportunity in a good name for a business? In other words, like how important is like a name relative to a business? Well, I think if you have a great name, you're known for it. Like, you know, Ben and Jerry's flavor names, for instance, you know, Chunky Monkey, Cherry Garcia. If you ask people, what's your favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor name? Everybody has one and it gets them talking. If you have a name that lends itself to wordplay and a theme, you can really monetize it and sell things. You know, we named a a nail salon in the Castro, which is San Francisco's most historic gay neighborhood. We named it Handjob. And, you know, for eight (laughs) or nine years now, we've sold a lot of Handjob underwear and merchandise. That's great. Once you set up that theme, I think, you know, we saw this on your website is that then the whole product suite sort of falls in tow with the overall brand, which I think is something that we haven't really ever considered. So for example, you're Eat My Words and then you have sous chefs coming up with names. Right. And our blog is called The Kitchen Sink and our packages are, you know, (laughs) snack, the appetizer, just the meat and the whole enchilada. Yeah. The food, food puns are, it's so deep and so rich. Look for a name that lends itself to a theme. It's so important. That's a name with legs and legs is the L and the SMILE acronym. We've taken an incredible amount of your time. This has been, thank you so much for, for helping us out, actually. We don't want to you know waste your time or anything, but I'm really thankful that you helped us out with the name. It's going to be big for us. You didn't waste my time. No, you have to understand, this is fun for me. Like, I can't believe I get paid to do this. <laughs> and the fact that I could do it live, it shows people... Like, hey, you can do this. If you just think about it and dig around online and, you you know, everyone saw me go down the rabbit hole, it works. Awesome. Thanks, Alexandra. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. This was really awesome. What awesome timing for us to be notified of Alexandra Watkins, the founder of Eat My Words, and the author of Hello, My Name is Awesome. Indeed, awesome. Appropriately named, my friend. Great book. Quick read. Like you said, it's none of this fluffery. Rolling your eyes. Yeah, none of the fluffery. So it's just straight to the concepts. And what I like about it, too, is I think in the past, what was a little bit different about this call and 
some of the naming sessions that we've done, you know, over the last decade, and where we're coming up with products and names, it's like, there's no process to it. It's all just like this kind of, how do you feel about this moment when I <laughs> said this thing to you? And like, does it work? And is it available? And, you know, I think that it's cool to hear from professionals that have a process here. And look, the results are undeniable. These people are coming up with better names than, <laughs> yeah. than the old process. So that's comforting to me that, look, I don't think the result for us necessarily is going to be some name that's going to change the future of our business necessarily. But it's nice to know that it went through the process and that it's not going to you know, fall into some of the common traps that we've fallen into in the past. It's also nice that Alexandra demystified the process too. So many professionals, so many consultants, they hold so tightly their secrets to success. Yeah. And she doesn't. She just lays it out for you and you can hire her or you can follow her process. Well, I'd like to thank Alexandra one more time and thank all the listeners to this show for giving us a great number of name suggestions, some of which are closing in on the, as finalists. So hopefully we'll have that announcement very shortly. Back to the drawing board. But it's funny that some of the listeners did suggest some things very close to what Alexandra got us to. So I think we're on the right path. A few more brainstorming sessions and I think we'll be there, Ian. Stay tuned. Do you have any naming tips or horror stories? We'd love to hear about them. Does your GoDaddy account resemble the Boulevard of Broken Dreams? <laughs> Do commiserate with us. This episode will be posted at tropicalmba.com slash name your business. That's right. I think in the comments over there, Dan, it would be great to see people's awful names because I'm sure most of the listeners of this show have a lot of them. <laughs> All right, boss man. Well, we'll be back next Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.